0: In the County with Trevor Anderson on Live 95. With Fitzgerald Skiphire. Time to clear your garden, shed, spare room, attic or garage? Check out fitzgeraldskiphire.ie or call 414 Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney is to bring a memo to Cabinet seeking to significantly increase the level of investment in the Defence Forces. The Minister said at least 3,000 extra soldiers are needed to address the security threats Ireland faces since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In February before that invasion, I spoke to Commandant Conor King. He is the General Secretary of RACO, the Representative Association of Commissioned Officers. And Conor King joins me again this morning. Good morning to you, Conor. Hi, Trevor. How are you? Good. We spoke two months ago about the recommendations of the Commission on the Defence Forces. Has the events of the last two months in Ukraine clarified for the government what they need to do in terms of improving our, our national defence?
1: You would certainly like to think so, Trevor. Um, since the invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February, we've seen the discourse in, in Irish society certainly change around should we resource our defences, should we become aligned to a, an international organisation, um, should we defend our neutrality and that's kind of a, a conversation that hasn't really been happening over the decades it just shows you that when war comes to your shores or when it comes to your continent that that the mind certainly gets focused has it changed the approach in relation to the department of defense and the defense forces i would say not i'm sure it has uh, certainly sharpened the context but in terms of timelines they haven't shortened significantly in any way the uh, memo to government, which is supposed to be around the implementation of the Commission on the Defence Force's recommendations, is still only set to be presented to Cabinet in early June, which is, you know, a fairly long time when you think about it.
0: Okay, this week it was reported the increased spending that the Commission recommended would not happen until at least 2025. So, from one point of view, it looks like uh, the, the spending will happen, but if it's not going to come on stream for another three years... What will that mean for the Defence Forces in the meantime, then?
1: Well, it's completely fanciful to think that we can actually increase our our numbers from the current low of less than 8,500 to 11,500, which the Minister for Defence, and he is the Minister for Defence, not just Foreign Affairs, um, has stated. We absolutely welcome the, the, the strong statement of intent to bring 3,000 more people into Amount of retention initiatives and not just recruitment. We can't recruit our way out of this retention crisis. You know, we've proven that time and time again, no amount of water will fill the leaky bucket that the organisation has become. We have to plug the gaps first before we start bringing in people. But he talked about, um, will, it, will it be extended to 2025? I certainly hope not. Currently the Commission has said our level of ambition, one, current capability that we cannot actually be consistent with the statements of defence policies that are in our white paper leaves us unable to conduct a meaningful defence of the state against a sustained act of aggression. We're certainly not fit for purpose at the moment. So level of ambition two, which is enhanced capability, bringing us up to 11,500, is the bare minimum to address capability gaps and has to be done immediately. So three years timeline is just not good enough.
0: What level of ambition? I know there was three in that uh, commission. What level do you think we will end up with?
1: Well, level of ambition three which is a trebling of our defense spend and remember that sounds enormous it's a, a trebling of defense spend from 1 billion currently to 3 billion sounds absolutely enormous but it has to be viewed in the context of the absolute rock bottom shameful spend on defense that we currently have like that would literally develop full spectrum defense capabilities to protect Ireland and its people to an extent comparable to similar sized countries in Europe so it would only bring us up to the EU average What we're looking at probably at the moment is going to LOA2 or Level of Ambition 2, which is an increase of about 50%. And again, that still won't give us a credible defence. What it will do is it will, like I said, address certain capability gaps, build up our cyber defence capability, bring in more people to actually be able to do the roles without double and treble jobbing and burnout, increase the capacity of the naval service, give us the likes of strategic airlift or strategic reach so we can actually deploy and recover both our troops and our citizens, it will enable us to look and see what's in the sky above our heads with primary military-grade radar, which we currently don't have, which is amazing, really, when you think about it.
0: I'm going to repeat the, the counter-arguments I made to you probably two months ago. Uh, the money That money should be allocated to health, housing, or education. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you say to, to, to those arguments?
1: Well, surely the security of the nation is inextricably linked with the health of the nation, number one. Number two citizens too, and they need, obviously, uh, a veil of housing and health care. There are recommendations in the Commission on the Defence Forces that enlisted personnel should have a a much higher standard of health care than they currently have, and I would absolutely endorse that, and that is going to cost money. Housing, in terms of the military accommodation offer, other armed forces provide accommodation for their their, um, men and women. We currently don't. We have a tiny stock of housing that is dwindling and is being kind of shut down as a matter of policy. Actually, improving the infrastructure in the Defence Forces in terms of housing would actually take soldiers off the housing list and free up housing for other citizens. Um, We looked at healthcare. Look what the Defence Forces has done for the HSE over the course of the pandemic and tell us now that you don't need to spend on Defence.
0: I was reading, I I think it was the Irish Times this week, and they were speaking to either a former uh, general or some uh, military man in Finland. And and, uh, Finland is, I think, in the process of applying for NATO. But he said it struck him as uh, particularly ironic in Ireland that we're celebrating 100 years of independence from Britain and, and fighting a war of independence with Britain, yet we still rely on Britain to patrol our airspace.
1: Yeah, I can't really add to that, Trevor. Um, it, it, sometimes it takes an, an outsider to point out the things that are right in front of your face. Um, this this gentleman is a general, um, Isa Polkinen, who was a member of the Commission of the Defence Forces. So he has an in-depth insight over 13 or 14 months of serious analysis of our strengths and also of our weaknesses. And when he is prepared to come out and say those words, you really should sit up and listen, particularly Finland which is a similar-sized country and spends much more on defence. Obviously, their threats are slightly different, Mm. but the fact that the Finns are now thinking of joining NATO really shows that they are taking their defence and security very, very
0: seriously. Conor, I I think there was a a poll recently, and most people in Ireland, uh, you know, would support retaining our neutrality status. I I don't think our neutrality status is, is up for question here. I think it's just a case of Ireland being better resourced to, to face threats that hopefully we won't have to face but we might face and, and at the moment we literally cannot defend ourselves. Is, is that fair to say?
1: It is and, and it's not me who's saying it it's the Commission of the Defence Force is saying that we cannot conduct a credible defence of the state and, and neutrality is you know, it's, it's an excellent choice, an excellent policy decision but only if it's properly resourced and spent on and defended. You can't just decide that you're neutral and then hope. Attack you or nobody else will invade you or nobody else will conduct a cyber attack on your health system, for example. Ukraine is neutral. That doesn't stop Russia attacking them. So in order to be neutral, you must be able to credibly resource that neutrality and provide a minimum credible deterrent so somebody will actually look elsewhere rather than looking at you as easy picking.
0: Uh, to go back to Simon Coveney's comments about the minimum expansion of 3,000 in the numbers in the Defence Forces, where would you like to see those numbers allocated? I know you spoke last time about Sarsfield Barracks and, you know, their objectives or, or, you know, they couldn't fulfil what they needed to fulfil, like probably so many other uh, um, Defence Force members across the country. Where, where would you like to see those numbers if they do come on stream, go?
1: Or in? Well, the short answer is across the board, but there are certain capability gaps in the higher level of the organisation that that have been identified by the Commission in terms of our cyber defence and certainly a cyber offence capability. They say we need hundreds of cyber experts plugged into the system. And that might not be just the organic recruitment that we're used to. That might be direct entry. That might be taking specialists in. But the key thing is, Trevor, you have to be able to pay market rates to keep these people. And every private company in the state or residing within Ireland has its own cyber capability because they need to to protect their own networks. So if we need to protect our own networks and conduct cyber offense and defense, we need to be able to pay market rate for specialists. Our naval service, you know, we have a massive maritime area of operations. Uh, our naval service is not currently equipped to patrol that properly. I think that's well documented. Also, we don't actually adhere to the European Working Time Directive Health and Safety Guidelines. So it's a simple equation. If you want to conduct the role Assigned by government. You need the adequate number of people. We currently don't have the adequate number of people to conduct the roles assigned by government and we're currently illegally deploying our people with inadequate rest and that leads to burnout, poor governance and will certainly lead to errors or accidents. So what we need to do is we need to plug people in at all levels of the organisation in order to A, make sure that we are legally employing our people and giving them proper rest and proper time off and B, ensure that we close those capability gaps that are identified under Level of Ambition 2 and hopefully, if we're serious about defence and security, build to Level of Ambition 3, which is our conventional capability, which will actually be
0: able to defend the state properly. OK, I'm speaking to Commandant Connor King. He's General Secretary of RACO, the representative Association of Commissioned Officers. Connor, I'm going to finish on this. Uh, the last time we talked was pre-invasion of Ukraine. We've had over two and a half months of fighting Ireland is supplying non-lethal equipment to Ukraine. What does that consist of? So,
1: to to the best of my knowledge, apart from the the, the significant levels of humanitarian aid that Ireland has contributed to through the UN and through the EU, which which should not be discounted, I think in terms of non-lethal aid, we provided the likes of um, ration packs, military-grade ration packs, body armour, etc. You know, to to the Ukraine, it's quite small, but it's not insignificant.
0: Okay, and very finally, you know, I mean, we've had over two and a half months of fighting in, in Ukraine. How, how long will this continue? I know it's impossible to put an answer on it, and given, but given the resistance that Ukraine has provided and is continuing to provide, uh, do you see any way out or, or do you see many, many more months of fighting in Ukraine? It's very
1: difficult to say. Um, I, think, I don't think anybody, any security analyst would have guessed Russia would push so far westwards into Ukraine, into Kiev and, and Lviv, etc., and up, up, almost up as far as the Polish border. Um, I think the Ukrainians have done unbelievably well in terms of their defence, and they've been, you know, they've been helped through various sanctions and through the provision of military. consolidating around um, Donetsk and Luhansk, Mariupol is still a complete wasteland. There are still people trapped in, in the Azovstal plant. It all depends on the Russian leadership, and it depends on how willing they are to devastate their own economy for, for this land grab that they've done. And I think analysts with a lot more experience and a lot more expertise than me
0: Commandant Connor King, General Secretary of RACO, the Representative Association of Commissioned Officers. Connor, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Trevor. In the county. With Trevor Anderson on Live 95. With Fitzgerald Hire, Time to clear your garden, shed, spare room, attic, or garage. Check out Fitzgerald or call four one four two hundred.